Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop university. At Hop University, we cut the bullshit out of human and organizational performance training. We were born out of necessity. We hear it all the time. Human and organizational performance courses are expensive and hard to find. Safety classes put me to sleep. Help. So we did. We offer on-demand, high-quality online courses in human and organizational performance, safety, and leadership, all led by seasoned safety and hot practitioners. No need to schedule time for that conference, no need to track down the latest guru, and no stuffy classroom required. Join us today at hopuniversity.org. That's H-O-P-University.org. Howdy. Hi, everybody. It is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Before we get too much farther, do me a favor. Head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at the Hop Nerd, except for that super duper thing called Twitter. It is the Hop Nerd One. Send us an email, sam at thehopnerd.com or thehopnerd at gmail.com. You can follow along on all of that stuff. You can slide into the DMs. You can send us a message. You can get a hold of us and start a conversation in all kinds of different ways. And we love that because we do this cool live show every Monday at 5.30 a.m., every Wednesday at 5 p.m., and every Friday at 8 p.m. We're live. We're on camera. We're broadcasting. It's cool. It's awesome. I like it. I love it. I got to have more of it. But where it's really cool is that you get to text and comment and call and do all that kind of stuff. We'll talk hop. We'll talk shop. We'll talk everything else. So make sure you check that out. So I'll shut up and tell you who I've got on the podcast today. You should already know. It's part two of Jason Maldonado. We had an awesome conversation with Jason uh, the other day, and it was so good that it went on and on and on. And I didn't want to just dump two hours of podcast on you. You know me, uh, you know, these things will go anywhere from 10 minutes to 13 hours. I don't really care. I'll take the conversation wherever we want to take it. So uh, Jason and I went for quite a while, so I split this into two. So I'll shut up. Here's part two of me, you, and Jason Maldonado talking about all things safety hop and everything in between. I accused you and Jason Lucas when we were in Las Vegas, Vegas of being undercover hop nerds because of, <laughs> because of a lot of the, uh, we, we aligned so much, that. right? And we, yeah. we aligned so much on certain things, which is awesome, right? But it's that. So part of, part of, part of that is that, you know, a lot of the message that we share 
does rub some of the kind of olds because that seems to be where yeah. a lot of it comes from. Um, more of the traditionalists. <laughs> hey, and and I, I, I want to qualify it too. You can be an old and be 29 years old. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was joking about. Well, it's not, it's not joking. Uh, it's, it's half joking. I have a, I have a near and dear friend, near and dear friend, amazing mentor to me, somebody that I've known, uh, for about 10, 15 years now. And, uh, by age, he would be classified as an old. He should have retired about 20 years ago. Let's put it sure. that way. Um, but in thought, he is so far forward thinking into new view hop stuff. And those are usually the people that aren't. Right. So I always, I always oh, pick oh, up yeah. and make fun of him for that in a, such a good way because it seems like most of the folks that are stuck back there. And I, I agree with you. I mean, but it's, the, it's like they were brought up in that traditional safety, zero based kind of school of thought. Uh, they were brought up in that first misinterpretive wave of human performance yep. where it was very pointed and it was weaponized human performance kind of pointed yeah, at the end human, of human error. And it's, it's, it's like they, it's like they got stuck there and, uh, and I get why, I get why you do that stuff sounds really easy. I think that's part of it, right? It on the surface, you're like, well, of course, duh, we'll just get to zero and everything will be fine. Right. That's easy enough. And I think yeah. you get some folks that get stuck there. Uh, but it seems like so much of that more challenge that I have, uh, spreading the message of human and organizational performance or safety too, or whatever you want to call it. You know, I call it just doing stuff that makes sense, doing the right stuff. Right. Doing <laughs> the know? right thing. Um, it seems like more challenge comes from other safety professionals than it does from oh, yeah. anybody else. And, and I think there's a lot to that. You know, I, I have some, some head bashed against the walls, uh, times with some very, you know, I'm, I've got, got people popping in my head right now that I deal with on a pretty frequent basis that, mm-hmm. that just make me go, ah, you know, I want to punch you in the throat right now, but right. Um, <laughs> yeah. open fisted. Yes. No, of course. To- <laughs> totally. Um, totally. I wouldn't ever, you know, but I, as I, as I always say, workplace violence is an HR issue, <laughs> not a right. safety issue. So there you go. See, that, I like it. Yeah. People don't like that joke. <laughs> Our, especially, uh, especially HR managers, they the, don't enjoy it. The, the one, the one that kills me, I, I heard Sidney Decker say it during one of his lectures years ago, and I continue to share it with our HR department. I always refer to them as human remains and they cannot stand it. It drives them <laughs> insane. Go see human re- in, in most of our presentations. If we reference HR, I'll, uh, I'll write out human remains. <laughs> <laughs> they get so That's sad. I will steal that one from you. But no, you, your your comment, and I'm glad you remembered it too, because it's stuck with me. And I've actually done a lot of thinking about the the undercover hop nerd, and and you already said it, so you stole my thunder. But no, no. Um, <laughs> not me. It, it, no, the what I'm after is not a title. I'm after doing the right thing, doing stuff that matters. Like yeah. we spend so much time doing paperwork and crap that just does not matter. You cannot prove to me in any, any way, shape or form in any way that it moves the needle and we still do it. And that has frustrated me my whole career. So much of stuff just becomes this massive administratium, right? That's all it is. Yes. Um, one of the, one of the prime examples, um, and I'm sure this is one that you'll connect with that I share with folks is, a pre-job brief form 
is such mm. a prime example of stuff that's just become another sheet of paper um, to the point to where it, it, it's, it makes sense why though, right? So let's think traditional safety organization. You have a pre-job brief form. Someone goes out, they have an event. The first and easiest thing to attack is, well, they should have talked about something else in their pre-job brief form. So yeah, let's exactly. add something else to their pre-job brief form. And now we're done. We fixed the problem. There's an extra checkbox. As long as there's a checkbox and they check it, everything will be fine. And then it spirals out of control to where then all of a sudden you've got a pre-job brief form that's, that's in size two font and takes up three pages, right? And it's nothing but checkboxes and it's really meaningless. And, you know, well, the, I, the individual think- user gets to the point to where they, they see that for what it is. It's a CYA. I check everything to make sure right. that I don't get in trouble if something does happen. Even if I'm not working with fall protection, we're going to check that we talked about it just because. Just and so because. much of that just, it just becomes that instead of being a learning tool, right? Because you can't learn and do it at the same time. You got to kind of pre-learn before you go out. It just mm-hmm. becomes another sheet of paper that we we just check all the boxes to make sure we're covered and we're out of trouble because the organization has made it that way. I, I think I, I've always looked at it a little slightly different, but very much in the same vein as you're talking about. Um, I, I think the pre-job brief is is on a majority designed to protect the company, sure. and, and you know because it's it's what the one of my favorite itself, right? Yeah. Yep. The form itself is designed to protect the company because the company can say, well, they, they should have done this or they should have done that or look, they wrote it down, but they still, they still violated the whatever, you know, and, and I think that, that that is, and one of the best examples of it that I, that I can remember is I had a, a crew that their supervisor wasn't very bought into anything if it had the S word in it. Mm-hmm. So he just, he, he wasn't a fan, but he, they had to, they were supposed to do their pre-job brief. They were called safe work permits at this, this job. And they were supposed to do it before every job. You're supposed to do a new one before every work order, right? So you could do four or five pre-job briefs, safe work permits in a day. And I would repeatedly, I would catch his crew in the break room at like three thirty, four o'clock, right before quitting time. And they're sitting in there. Hey, Joe, what were we doing at two o'clock? <laughs> So it sounds like you've been around utilities a little bit. Uh, yeah, once or twice. Um. <laughs> well, it's, it's crazy because that's what you see, right? We, we, it's kind of back to some of those basics that organizations have a hard time swallowing that safety professionals, more old school safety professionals have a hard time swallowing is that people are going to find ways to be as absolutely efficient as possible. That's human yep. nature, right? We, we like to look and go, Oh, bad workaround. But workarounds are natural. That's normal. That's human nature. That's those are things we're always yeah. seeking that path to efficiency, and that's how you end up. With, uh, my my particular stories are kind of the similar where you, where you end up with one that's like this this pre job brief is really good. Let's photocopy like twenty of them. Yeah, <laughs> so we can just change the date every single day. <laughs> you know, because people people seek out efficiency, right? And especially when you uh, or an organization has propped up that process to where it doesn't, it's not valuable anymore. You know, they don't right. see it as that learning tool. It's, it's become, as, as what you said, it becomes more of a CYA for the organization. Uh, and in turn, it, that's pushed down to the employee. So the employee is going, just make sure everything's checked because then if something does happen, at least we talked about it or at least we, we checked it and we talked about it. I get a lot of trouble in organizations because I'll go in and rip out a sheet of uh, college-rolled paper and say, here's your pre-job yeah. reform. That's the best oh, yeah. ones I've it, ever it, seen. <laughs> the, the, only thing, the only thing that I have, um, and i, I got to beef this up, but – I've concentrated on this on my website and I've got a free download in my resources section for a, a pre-work 
plan. And it is, it's just a blank piece of paper. It has, <laughs> it has five questions on it, but you know, what are you doing? How could you get hurt? What are the tools you need to work with? And it's like, it's because I want people to have that conversation. I don't right. care if you even write it down. Right. Just talk right. about those five things, you know? Well, and that's, that's some of what, what I've seen organizations kind of start to move towards. Um, I've been a part of learning teams and organizations where we really kind of dug into the pre-job brief aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so much of what I hear from from frontline employees and frontline leaders is that is like, ditch the form. I hear that so often. Get rid of the form. Give me a sheet of paper where we can talk about what we're actually doing. If you give me a sheet of paper and if you do ask any questions, it should be related to the stuff that kills you. You should be yeah. really focused on is there potential for us to get killed on this job? What are the essential controls that keeps that from happening? And are those enough? You yeah. keep it to those not, questions, not, and those are kind of the main things people want. Want you know? Again, they see value, and they're like, "Okay, that makes sense. I can plan my job, and we can make sure we don't die." Those things seem like really valuable things to me. Well, and and one of the big challenges for me, and this isn't, I wouldn't say this is like a universal thing because it definitely hasn't been a problem everywhere that I've been. Um, but I think in order to to go there and to talk about those things and to, to shift. Uh, to, to shift the dialogue and make it a, make it a habit, make it a staple in what they do and what they talk safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be able to get away from injuries. You have to be able to uh, be able to get away from minor injuries in particular, you know, the bumps and cuts and scrapes and bruises and strain to this and that. Those are bad things that we don't want for sure, but they totally distract from the nuts and bolts of the job. Right. And, you know, everybody knows, yeah, lift with your legs, not with your back. And and I'm, I say that tongue in cheek because it's much more complex than that. But right. it, it, you know, you know that you're a gym rat just like me. Uh, you know, but we have to be able to get away from the mentality of, okay, what do we have for safety? Well, nobody got hurt last night. You know, it's so it's so much of that clinging to that that old school zero based approach, right? It's it's still clinging to that pyramid quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's where the importance has happened. I mean, and I get it. I get Heinrich was misrepresented, you know, in a lot of different ways. And I get that I I grossly oversimplify a lot of Heinrich's principles because I go there and I oversimplify them a lot of times. For all the haters out there that are going to hear this, uh, I grossly oversimplify them because all of our organizations do too, right? So I, I, I sell Heinrich as the way our organizations mostly sell Heinrich. I get a lot of hate mail over the stupid pyramid. If you can't tell, but, well, um, <laughs> hey, hey, let me let me join you because um, if. Hold on. If you want to, if you want to, I'm going to be in your club here because if you read chapter and this is dumb, I can't remember my own book <laughs> or my, my own chapter in my own book. But if you, uh, if you read, uh, let's see, it would be chapter, um, 12, uh, no, 14, chapter 14 of my book. We uh, we, we talk exclusive or extensively about Heinrich and, his ghost in particular, but <laughs> he keeps hanging around. That seems it to does. Be. It, it, well, what's so dangerous to me? I will is, join your fan club. You can well, send me hate mail too. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, you know, Heinrich did some good stuff. I'm not saying that he didn't. I'm, I, I apply Heinrich the way that most organizations apply Heinrich. And what, what they really boil it down to is this, is that smaller injuries are predictive of larger injuries or, or greater right. things to come. And that's just not true. Right. No, that is not. just not true. 65 and he, he, hand cuts and then you get a certain number of hand cuts that are recordable and then you get a couple of hand cuts that are lost time does not mean your last hand cut is going to be a fatality. Right. That's just not how stuff works. No, and, not at all. 
and we like to think that it does, or we, we wished that it worked that way because if it were really that simple and that linear, our jobs would be very easy. But the dangerous part is, which what's really dangerous is that we've got generations of leaders that have been taught this principle that their only job is to manage the little things because yep. if they take care of the little things, they don't have to worry about anything else. If you just focus on the little things, if you just focus on those bumps and scrapes that you were talking about and you eventually get rid of those, nothing else bad is going to happen. Yeah. And we know that well, that's just not true. That's, that's how you end up with these, you know, uh, this kind of, all that kind of couples together in that zero illusion <laughs> of zero. Um, but well, the way that yeah, I really we, like if we get rid of people, all of them, then we can, Prance through the uh, the valley of rainbows and unicorns with right, the, and we we, for, we forget we forget that that our risk has never changed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, it's, it's, you you get there right, and that's what I share is that 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 a lot of times again I, I get I get hate mail over the zero thing that I don't care about people when I talk about zero not working. That is such a non. I, I think the right fouls logical fouls is such a non sequitur. Argument. They, right. Those two things are not. They're not related. No. <laughs> you know. Well, what what I uh, what I like to share a lot is that you know when you when you demand zero, you will get zero. The problem is is that you're operating blindly now. Nobody's yeah. going to tell you yeah. anything. It's the same beef that I have with like magical golden rules that are so special that we instantly fire people over them. Um, I, when, when I, when I, I, I got a chapter into, about that one too. I, I think that's huge because when, when I bumped into you guys, when I was hanging out with you guys a little bit at safety, safety focus 2020, I got to sit in Bob Edwards class and I loved Bob's story that he shared. Uh, and I would encourage folks out there that if you, you should know who Bob Edwards is. And if you don't, you should go, go find him and go listen to a class. I know that's kind of hard right now, but I think, I think they're doing some online stuff or at least some distant stuff through Zoom right now. So those classes yeah, are still are. kind of happening. Um, but he kind of shared the story about going out, you know, into the production facility where he worked. He, he went out and he seen one of these guys, you know, that had worked there. Excellent person, amazing person, amazing craft person up in a scissor lift, you know, with, with a harness on and the legs unbuckled and tied off. And technically that's a violation of the golden rule. And technically that person should have been fired instantly. Right. And he brings that person down and he's talking to him. He goes, yeah, I took a break. And you know, if, if you're a gentleman, you understand that you sit down in these leg, in these harnesses, with these leg straps, and you, you want to have them unbuckled before you sit down. Right. That's definitely a thing. Oh, yes. And so he just, uh, yeah. he just had a brain fart and forgot to do it. Right. That's not the same as somebody going, screw you guys. I'm not tying off. Right. Oh, for but sure. That's if fun. you apply it with that zero tolerance type of mindset and you apply that golden rule mindset, those two things are the same thing. And the problem that I have with that is that you create a, a culture of fear and silence around the top five or top 10 things that, you know, kill you in your organization. Yeah. And now because all of a sudden then, you have a near miss and you're never going to hear about it. You have somebody that nearly dies. And those are the stories as a safety professional in particular, I want to hear about. If you almost die, I kind of sort of want to know about it. Oh, for sure. And, and then it becomes, it becomes working so you don't get fired versus working so you don't get killed. Right. Those are, those are two dramatically different things. Right. Well, and again, I I never understood that it's, it's okay. We, we love and care about you so much that we're going to uh, force you to choose between telling us about a problem that we can help you fix. Or not telling us, right? If you tell us, you're probably going to get fired. If you uh, don't tell us, you're definitely not going to get fired, but we're not going to fix the problem. And it just seems like, again, it's a rock and hard place, right? It, is. it just doesn't seem like a position. If we really care about our people that much, 
uh, we should we should create honest environments or environments where honesty is possible. And I feel like those uh, kind of magical golden safety rules. Uh, number one, if you've if you've got so many rules that you have to make three or four or five or ten of them special, you got too many rules, right? And then yeah. it, it, it's back to creating honest environments. You, that should be our focus, right? How do we create environments in which people can be brutally honest with us all the time? Yeah. Again, you want it, you want that conversation. I know it sounds scary to folks out there listening if this is kind of new to you or for leaders, uh, but you want that conversation. You want to you want to have that person come up to you and go, "Oh, you think that's bad? Let me show you where I almost died last week." Like you you yeah. you want to be able to have those conversations because that's how you learn and that's how you get better. And learning is the only tool that we really have. Yeah, and. and- the the thing with the the rules, and this is my this has always been my go to argument against them, and and even recently I've had this this uh, I wouldn't call it a debate, but people keep trying to implement it, and they'll come up and say, well, that's what a world class organization would do. All you look at this <laughs> world world yeah that word, and my argument is well if a world class organization shouldn't need cardinal rules or golden rules or whatever you're going to call them because their foundation should be so amazing that nobody ever screws up like that. And well, and we have that's a really hard. weird definition yeah. of world-class too, because when we say world-class, what we usually mean is they have a really, really low TRR or lost time instantly. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's really not telling you a lot. I can, I can, I, I can tattle here a little bit. You know, I can tell you, and I'm sure you, you're familiar with this and anybody out there that is a safety professional that has worked for large scale contractors or quote world class safety organizations are very familiar with this. Uh, especially if you worked in any managerial capacity or leadership capacity in those. Um, yep. the numbers are very managed, right? And that's the problem, right? The, the numbers don't tell you a lot anyways as they are, but. We have so much – they're so incentivized and they're so heavily uh, metricized that they – those organizations manage the hell out of those metrics, right? Oh, yeah. Most safety professionals in large, quote, world-class organizations are very good case managers, right? <laughs> by, by, yes. by the nature of the job, we get really good at case management. We get really good at whittling down that incident rate, not because they're necessarily all that Great. And I'm not picking on them. I'm, I'm not, I'm not throwing them under the bus too much because I've, I've worked in that capacity too. Again, I, I grew up in the, oh, I, that was my, that was my first job. It was I, solely that. Yeah. It was, was numbers and, and case management. And I, I, and I grew up in the, I was pretty space. proud of that. Right. I grew yeah. up in the contract space. I learned, uh, I, I'm a phenomenal case manager. I hate to admit that, but I am right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing is, is that you grow up in that space and that's what those companies care about because those numbers, especially in contracting, right? Those numbers secure your future work. So there's, there's internal incentivization that happens because of external pressures to continue, right? Cause you have to throw those numbers out there to be able to secure the next job. But you'll see those organizations and they'll have an, a lost time incident rate of 0.01, right? And they're, they're bragging huge about this. And, uh, you know, but it doesn't really tell you a lot. Again, yeah. I, it's it's back to that old argument that if if it can be measured, it will be manipulated. Uh, if if you if you demand zero, you're going to get zero. But is it real? If you want three of something, you tell your organization you want three of something. They're going to give you three because they think that's what you want. And I think the truth is just way more valuable, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. the The truth has got to be. I mean. I think the, one of the most successful projects that I was involved in uh, from a safety perspective was taking a, a, an audit sheet. I mean, that's what it was. They called it a, a 
I think they called it a predictive metric. There was nothing predictive about it, but they would take this audit sheet and and go out and do a mandatory observation of a of a site, right? Um, and it was a it was an ugly mismatch of a mishmash of like people based safety or behavior based safety and um, and condition auditing and it was it was a mess. But anyway, we we took this thing that was very metrics driven and there was even rules in place that you had to get, you know, 95% compliance. And if you didn't do X number of observations in any given category, it wasn't valid. And it was just all these, these things that you had to work to. And right. I remember walking out on, on site with the, with the project manager at this uh, particular construction site. And he was just, he hadn't been out on site for a while and we're out there walking around amongst, you know, overflowing dumpsters and boards with nails sticking out and cords draped everywhere across walkways and standing water and, and on, on finished, um, finished surfaces and just crazy stuff. You know, it was not a very well managed, uh, managed site. There was a lot of politics to it. And he goes, Hey, what, what was our housekeeping observation score last month? And I told him it was 98%. <laughs> and he goes, of course, how? And I'm like, well, that's what you asked for. So, well, it's it's that right? It's it's that's a big piece of it, and it's we overvalue. I think organizations overvalue, and this is an argument I get in a lot, uh, get in with a lot, uh, but we overvalue the predictive capacity of data, anyways, as it relates to stuff like that. Oh, for sure, right? We we really believe that 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 that. That again, it's kind of still back to that same principle that if we think we can just manage the little things, we kind of, um, and I've even seen organizations do this where you have that Heinrich pyramid or the modern version of it. And then under, un, under your close call box, they add more, more layers to the pyramid. And one of those layers is observations and they've added all kinds of crap, right? So they view oh, those yeah. things as kind of the same thing where you go out and, and organizations, at least some are starting to wake up and realize that big data doesn't really mean a lot when it comes to what we're talking about here, right? To be able to go out and actually look and apply context is what matters, right? You go out and you ask people to give you three observations. They're going to give you three. And again, I I pick on people all the time because I say, look, I know, I know what your top three observation trends, quote, trends are right now because they're the same as in mine. They're the same as my organization. It's housekeeping. It's PPE. It's red barrier tape. Or barrier tape. Because they're, they're easy. <laughs> those you know, those the, are yours. Those are mine. Those are everybody's. We all have a really bad problem with those three things, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, the the end of that story, though, and and this was amazing. The end of that story was we were kind of given free reign to do whatever we wanted uh, to, to fix the problem, right? Okay. So we, we did a big study of it. We, we pulled out, I, I think, of like 17,000 observations and, you know, stratified them and did all the statistical analysis and all that. And, and the conclusion that we came to was, which it was kind of a foregone conclusion was that we, we needed to do better at, at, at our, communication you know we needed to give people the opportunity to tell us the truth uh, that was really the selling point um was go out and tell me what you see good bad otherwise and it it floundered at first i'll be honest and it took about a year but once once some we really got some push behind it uh which was in the form of a, a v, vp standing up and going you have to do this this is part of your job now right. uh and and the cool part about it is he said if you don't do it there's you're, you have to do this and there will be consequences, I think is the way that he, he said it. Um, what he didn't tell anybody was that there was never any negative consequences. Like you, you didn't get in trouble if you didn't meet your quota and you didn't get in trouble if, if, uh, you only looked at safety glasses or whatever. But, right. but the consequence was 
if you if you found something phenomenal, if you found something that was that, that probably saved somebody's life, hey, here's here's five bucks on a Starbucks gift card. Thank you so much for doing yeah. that. And then you know, and we started recognizing these guys with just little things. It wasn't even a, a big thing, and we started recognizing them for for doing what they should have been doing all along, yeah. um, finding things and then and then providing solutions for those those problems. Well, and I think uh, there's so much more value in in that, right? And kind of more in around um, good catches or whatever you want to call them, right? Um, then there even is an observations because I've really noticed that, that I've, a lot of the organizations I've been around, especially those that have kind of gone down the hot path or are starting down the hot path, that, that that's a lot of a lot of the question they're asking themselves is, does observations really jive with where we're going now? And yeah, probably not. <laughs> and a lot of it, a lot of it's probably not, right? Because um, it's really a, a lot of the observation programs have really approached it the problem as a grander thing, right? To say, well, instead of trying to look at everything as individual things, let's try to look at and make it predictive and view problems as one big problem rather than taking a more nuanced approach. Let's look at it on a trend graph rather than seeing them as one-off, you know, cases. And that sounds really good and and, and easy to to a corporation, but that's really not how problems arise or how problems get fixed. And so often, you know, the vast majority of the problems that you have, it's employee to their immediate supervisor and they fix their problem right there. And you're never going to hear those things. It's going to say, hey, I've got this going on. Hey, I got a fix for you. Or, hey, let's figure out a fix for that. And you're, you're never really going to hear all those stories. So I think what I've seen a lot of or what I've seen happen quite a bit is instead of investing a lot of time and effort into observations, uh, I've seen a lot of organizations try to invest a lot more time into preparing their leaders to be better problem solvers with their front line. Because again, that's, that's where a lot of those problems are getting fixed. Anyways, it's, it's, it's one off nuanced problems that are, it's, it's employee to leader. It's employee to leader. It's not really this grand trending thing. Uh, but I, I do see a lot of value in kind of the good catch stuff that you were just talking about. I think yeah. those are phenomenal, right? The, the, to encourage folks to tell you the not so great stuff. It's kind of back to that funny kind of tongue in cheek comment that I like to make is, is what I just shared before was, is that is that, Oh crap, you think this is bad. Let me show you where I almost died last week. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's, it's those, it's those conversations that you want to empower your folks to be able to have. Um, and a lot of that comes down to reactions, I think, right? The way, the way the organization reacts when they hear the not so yes. stuff. Yeah. It, you, you have to be able to, to shift the conversation away from, and this, this was a big learning lesson that we, that we came out of that, uh, that observation study, uh, having learned was that we had to change the, the language a little bit because in the past, if you, if you did your little observation checklist, your audit form and, you know, the questions were, is it compliant? Is it not compliant? Or is it NA? Right. And when we did that, um, or when we made the shift to just having them tell us what, what was good and bad, we left that terminology on there, which was a huge mistake. We left the compliant, non-compliant, uh, NA and, and we kept trying to tell a different story with the same language and it didn't, that's why I said, you know, for the first year or so, I really floundered. But once we figured out that the real value, the the story that we needed to tell wasn't what was compliant or non-compliant, because that was that was just a snapshot of what was happening that day. But the 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 victory or the loss came in the in the form of what you did with those quote unquote non-compliant things. So now it wasn't about was it good or bad. It was about what you do with the bad stuff. And, and how much of that stuff did you tackle personally? Yeah. And, um, and that was sort of the, the thing that kicked it into, to fifth gear and, and really got it going. And we saw some just amazing things happen 
as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- and I think, it, I think there's amazing value in good catching. I think there's amazing value in those things in particular. Um, the one problem that, that I've faced with that is that, um, you know, we've, we've done a pretty good job in, in, I've noticed this in several organizations of going out and going, Hey, you know, leaders, these are important. You need to encourage good catches. You know, here's, here's, you know, you really, you really want these. You want to, you want to encourage good catches and your misses close calls. You want to hear about all this stuff. Again, back to that funny comment about almost out over there too. You, you, you want to encourage that stuff because those give you learning opportunities and you have the opportunity to learn without negative outcome. I mean, it's, it's a really, it's a win-win for you because a good catch and a close call, it's really the same thing, right? It's the same thing. Um, so encouraging that, but what I've seen too is that I've, I've seen leaders get so zealous about that, that they'll go and they'll, they'll basically review their site's numbers and they'll go, you all should really have more good catches. And then the next day they'll be like, yeah. right there, the number just like uh, instantly spikes. And I'm like, you don't understand. That's not how you, yeah, <laughs> you that's not them. how that works. That's not how that works. If you tell them yeah. you want 10, they're going to give you 10. They're just not going to be real. <laughs> and, and that was what was so cool just to watch with the, the whole consequences comment. Uh, once we started, you know, started rewarding people for finding the really big stuff, you know, the stuff that's going to kill you and the stuff that's right. going to maim you. Once we started giving recognition to that, we didn't need to ask for a quota because those guys, I mean, not all of them. I mean, you, you had some that were just scraping by and do the bare minimum, but for the majority of them, they wanted to be better than the next guy. And, you know, if, if Sam found, 50 things well jason's gonna find 51 and you know and it became this this competition friendly competition because i wanted to be recognized for finding the the biggest baddest thing out there and fixing it you know and yeah because it's not it's not just about finding the thing it's about finding it and then doing something yeah the action the ownership behind it yeah and that's where i've seen a lot of sites be successful as they kind of roll out the learning team model and stuff because it, it it promotes that ownership right you say you know you might you might have a couple of good catches or close calls come and go oh we've got a problem here with this let's get oh, together sure. a learning team and figure this thing out and let's let that learning team kind of tackle this problem and you know it's involving those frontline folks or the folks that do that work and then and then they're they get to be there and own those solutions and see those solutions through to the end and that's a great way to do that as well. I've seen seen that quite a bit. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, before we uh, before we finish up here, you had mentioned it a little bit. You've you've got relentlesssafety.com, right? So you've, yes. you've got that, and then you're also an author. You had mentioned that a couple times as well. Tell tell people out there a little bit about your book. Yeah. So the the book relentlesssafety.com is actually was actually birthed by the book. So the, and I've told this story in a couple of different shows, but it, it's fun for me. And, and, uh, you know, I, I like to give credit where it's due, but I was, uh, this is going on almost two years ago now. I was sitting on my dad's porch, you know, drinking a couple of beers one Friday night and, and we were just reminiscing, talking about stuff. Yeah, he's worked his whole career in the, uh, electrical, electrical utilities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, we talk shop quite a bit. He's never been a safety guy, but he gets it, you know, and, um, uh, and I was telling, retelling, I should say, him all these stories about my my mentor um, from very early on in my safety career, who kind of took me under his wing and and I think turned me into a, a self thinking individual that that was going to question, you know, why do we do it this way? And and that's that's really how I how I ultimately became a hop nerd in disguise, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I'm telling all these stories and the guy's name is Nick. Uh, he passed away a few years ago and, uh, you know, I, I stopped at one point and I said, man, I, I'm, I'm sorry, dad. I, I, I don't mean to keep telling you all these stories and I have heard them before. And he goes, no, you need to write these down. These are, these are good stories. And that's not the exact language that he used, but, uh, 
you know, he goes, you got to write them down. And I was, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I need to do that. And he goes, no, you, you seriously need to write them down. And, and in fact, I'm going to see you again in two weeks. And I would, I, sh- I think I should be able to expect two chapters by then. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, all right. And, and just like I that, guess, you were an author. <laughs> and just like that, just like, so I, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, well, actually, what he, I got to go back because what he actually said was, you know, you've been saying you want to be a writer since you were like seven and you're not getting any younger. So there you go. Um, <laughs> well, how can, how can people get their hands on the book? Uh, so go to relentlesssafety.com because it, it's on there and you'll be able to view all of my free material as well on relentlesssafety.com. I've got uh, hundreds of articles and blogs and, and just fun stories that you can go and read and, and hopefully glean some knowledge from. Um, but it's on there. If you want to go to amazon.com, it, the book is called um, A Practical Guide to the Safety Profession, The Relentless Pursuit. Uh, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, CRC Press. TaylorandFrancis.com, Rutledge.com, um, all, all the, all the onlines. Um, but yeah, check out RelentlessSafety.com as well. Cause that's kind of my, uh, my little baby. Uh, it created Relentless Safety to advertise the book and then it just became its own little, little beast. That's very cool, man. And people can find you on, I'm assuming on just about everything social media as well, correct? Oh, for sure. So, uh, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is the, the weird one. I'm at mouse fighter. Uh, had that for years and it's, it's, it is what it is. Nice. So I'm at, at, at mouse fighter at Twitter and then, uh, everything else you can find me, you know, Jason Maldonado or, uh, relentless safety. Yeah. And that's one thing I, you know, I follow you mostly on LinkedIn. You guys pump out a bunch of amazing content there. So definitely, definitely check, check Jason out on all those channels. I'm, 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 uh, I'm biased towards LinkedIn. I kind of sort of like it. That's where I hang out pretty much more than hey, anything hey. else. I've been telling people that for years. So I've been on LinkedIn since 2010, yeah, I think. And man, I have, I've met some of the most amazing people. I've gotten job after, after job offer, off job offer after job offer, uh, from it. I've made incredible business connections, um, learned so much. Like you can reach out to anybody and ask any question, uh, and you're going to get something valuable back. It's, you know, so it's I just, awesome. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and that's what I was gonna say. Is if it were if it was not for LinkedIn, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation right now. Nope, not at right? all. So, I, and, uh... <laughs> so well, I, I guess we can I guess we can wrap it up there. I mean, um, any final words of wisdom? I always say any last words for folks any out last there before words. before we go. Uh, man, you know, keep keep pushing. You know, this is a a thankless career field, and uh, it, it is. You know, Sam and I both talked about it on this, this show. It's, it's, you're very apt to run into periods where you're, you're going to want to give up. Um, but you know, keep pushing. There's, there's good to be done. And, and I think, uh, if, we, if we can be part of that, um, we're going to see some pretty incredible things in the next few years. So, um, that, that's what I would leave you with. I like it. Stay the course. Stay the course. Thank you for coming on, my friend. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I love it. I got to have more of it. It was awesome to have an opportunity to sit around, hang out, even though virtually with Jason Maldonado. The last time that we did this, we got to hang out in person. And I feel super special because as, as, as we've talked about before, uh, with Jason is that, you know, most of the safety justice league, hashtag safety justice league, make sure you check out all those folks. They're amazing. They haven't got to meet in person, right? So I got to meet two of them at once and they haven't got to meet each other. How cool is that? Make sure you check 
got all of Jason's stuff, Relentless Safety. He's got a book out, as we mentioned. Go follow along with him on all things social media, along with the rest of the hashtag Safety Justice League. They are amazing folks. They're putting out a bunch of quality stuff and really, really offering some entertaining safety stuff. As we mentioned in the pod, let's just be honest. A lot of this crap is boring, and people like Jason make it a lot less boring. They make safety, can I even say, cool? I like it. I love it. I got to have more of it. So I'm sure we'll have Jason on again in the future. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Until next time, this is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. (laughs) 